Tonight on the West Coast Gospel Hour, it's the resurrection. What is the proof for it? That's now, tonight, here on Apologetic Saturday. And I'll be joined by my co-host and partner, Io from Amitsu Study. That is next. So stay tuned. And uh, you know what? It's going to be a good night tonight. And I think if you're going to be on it, you're going to want to stick around. So uh, look at what's coming now, all right? It's going to be great. What are you doing tonight? Are you uh, are you thinking about tomorrow with church? Are you thinking about what's going on in your life? Pay attention, because it's going to be good. Well, let's uh, invite your friends, everyone around you, and uh, remember... The reason why we can be brave is because we believe in the resurrection of Jesus Christ. We can be brave in a world that is oppressing us. Why? Because our home is not here. Our home is with Jesus. And we know that if the body is persecuted, if it is killed, we have a life with Christ. And it is one of the great promises of Colossians chapter 3 that when Christ who is our life appears we will appear with him in glory the resurrection of the dead it's a guaranteed promise but it's the proof that we have that Jesus was resurrected it's the understanding that if Christ was resurrected we can believe in the resurrection of our own bodies and it's a good thing And that's what makes us brave as Christians. It's what gives us our boldness. It's what empowers us to stand up for our faith. So understand, as my co-host Io is about to join us in just a few minutes, that if you're wavering right now, don't. Because Jesus is coming back. And things are going to be real, real quick for us. As we're standing before the throne of God, And as Christ is taking the seals and opening them up to bring judgment on man. Are you ready? Are you ready to know Christ? Are you ready to know him in that intimate manner? Because if you're not, then you better put aside all that fear and doubt that you have about Jesus. And fall on your knees and ask him to reveal himself to you. And I promise you... I know this firsthand, he will. He'll reveal himself and he will show himself to you. That's the hope that we have in Jesus Christ. Well, uh, I see that my partner is here and he's coming on. Welcome everyone that's joining us. Hey everyone, hey brother. Hey, how are you doing? Doing well, doing well. Good, you all, you ready for tonight? Yes, I am. Looking forward to so apologetics. So I understand that we're month. talking about the resurrection tonight. Proof of the resurrection. Is that right? Yeah, that's right. So awesome. last month, if you guys remember, uh, it's been it's been a long time since I've been with you guys again. But last month, when I was back on, when I was on previously, it was a resurrection weekend. So I think it was the weekend before Easter. We're talking about the reasons for the crucifixion, uh, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Uh, so I'll just be kind of quickly 
um, reviewing some of those six points that we touched on last time. But if you guys, you know, didn't listen to it, we have that on podcast. Just go back a week, a week, or sorry, a month back, and you can listen to that. And But today, what I'll be touching on more so is alternate theories, because there's skeptics that look at the reasons we give, and they're like, oh, no, you know, they actually hallucinated, or someone stole Jesus' body. So that's what we're going to be covering tonight, um, just what those claims are, and how can we, like, grapple with them, handle them, uh, so I just hope this equips you guys and gives you reasons so that when people maybe go to you like, hey, why do you believe in the resurrection? Don't you know that they hallucinated or whatever? Then you can say that, oh, no, they didn't. That isn't true because of this, this, and this. So that's going to be the goal for tonight. Absolutely. Well, uh, why don't we uh, pray and why don't you lead us in prayer and we'll get started. Yeah, sure. Uh, Father, we just thank you for, first of all, for uh, your son, that he came to the earth to die for us, Lord, to die for our sins. And uh, we just thank you that he was raised in glory, Lord, and, and through his resurrection, we have eternal life. Uh, we just thank you that you're using Brother Stephon and I tonight to just equip believers to be confident in their faith, confident that Jesus truly did resurrect, that the tomb is empty today, that Jesus is at the right hand of the Father. And we just ask that you use Brother Stephon and I, Lord. Uh, to equip fellow believers on how to give a defense for uh, the crucifixion, for the burial, for the uh, resurrection of Jesus Christ. So we just pray that you use this uh, for your glory, Lord, and for our benefit as well. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. 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 Yeah. So looking forward to this, guys. So as, as I said, I'll just quickly um, summarize some of the points I made a month ago. So again, we talked about the arguments for the crucifixion, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Uh, we said that uh, it's it's valid to believe that because one, there's multiple sources that test the crucifixion. So we looked at non-Christian and Christian sources for that, such as Josephus, Tacitus. Um, they were great sources. Again, Christian and non-Christian sources. Uh, multiple sources attested to the burial. So again, lots of Christian and non-Christian sources say that, yep, Jesus Christ was, he did exist, he walked the earth, and he actually was buried. Uh, the empty tomb, look at the empty tomb, and the thing that's so funny about the empty tomb is that, the empty tomb is that even though people try to argue it away and say this and that, every argument against the empty tomb presupposes that the tomb was empty, presupposes that something happens to the body, so nobody can, you know, hide that fact. The fact is that Jesus Christ was crucified, and later, the body was gone. So we, so we looked let, at that let's, there's great evidence for that. Let, let's make everyone understand that. Yeah. If you're making an argument against the empty tomb, you're already presupposing that the body was missing. Exactly. And so people need to understand that. When you're listening to someone make that argument against you, you need to, to, to pause for a moment, smile really big. Because what they're automatically telling you is, well, something did happen to the body. And, and I, I think that's so important. Look, um, you know, I'm, I'm going to throw out verses every time Io brings up something. I think this is important. One of the, the books that actually covers the resurrection one of the, in the greatest ways is actually the book of Acts. Um, uh, Acts 3.15 says this, And you killed the author of life whom God raised from the dead. To this we are witnesses. Mm -hmm. This is an emphatic claim made by the disciples. We witnessed that you killed the author of life. By the way, this is a very profound statement because it means that all life comes from Jesus, right? Yeah. He's the author of all life. Yeah. So God the Father is the authority, but Jesus is the life giver. 
And any, it says very clearly, whom God raised from the dead. So it's giving you a, an important part of your apologetics that Jesus and God, yes, they're one being, but two persons in the Godhead right there. Yeah. And that's real important. But thirdly, and this is the most important fact out of this verse, is we're witnesses to it. Yep. So these are not hallucinations, absolute witnesses to the occasion. So go yeah. ahead and go on. Yeah, great points. Uh, another reason that we can be confident in the death, burial, resurrection of Jesus Christ is the alleged appearances of the risen Christ. You know, Paul, people like Paul, James, uh, they were skeptics. Paul, in fact, crucified, or not crucified, but persecuted the church, and he claimed to have seen the risen Lord. So there are people that claim to have seen the risen Lord. In 1 Corinthians 15, it says that Jesus appeared to the 12 disciples and even more than 500 people at one time. Uh, another piece to that in terms of the appearance of the risen Christ is that women were the first ones to see the empty tomb. And we made, we uh, really dissected that and said that, hey, at that period of time, women were not seen as high class citizens of society. They were seen very low. Uh, so for a narrative to have women be the first ones to see the empty tomb is, is like unheard of. They're trying to make this up. So because that's just very unlikely, it shows that that was likely very true. The Bible just record that as it happened, and someone didn't try to fabricate that. If they try to fabricate that, they wouldn't say women saw the tomb first. They'd say the men saw the tomb first and reported what they found. Uh, the next thing is that the disciples were willing to suffer after these alleged um, resurrection appearances of Jesus. If you guys remember, during this whole time when Jesus was taken, uh, he was arrested, he was on trial, and he was crucified. The disciples ran, they fled, they hid because they didn't want to be crucified as well. They were scared. Um, Peter rejected the Lord three times. So we don't see these valiant men, you know, standing up for the Lord, trying to fight the Romans and things like that. We see these, you know, lack for a better term, wimps. They were, they were very scared for their lives. So we go from that to suddenly they claimed they seen the risen Lord and they were willing to die for their faith. So that is another apologetic for the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And then something Acts else that touched on, yeah. And then something else that touched on uh, briefly last time was the conversion of non-believers. So that's a big deal. Again, Paul was converted. James, who doubted Jesus, he was converted after he seen the risen Lord. So that's another evidence that yeah, this truly happened. These people truly believe they saw Jesus Christ, and there's nothing else to explain it other than Jesus Christ was risen. Yeah, I was going to chime in there. Acts 4.33, um, it gives this clarification. One. So what Iowa is alluding to is what the statement made there by the disciples. And with great power, the apostles were giving their testimony to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and great grace was upon them all. So remember, they were cowards who fled at the crucifixion of Jesus Christ. Suddenly they see the resurrected Christ, and they're pronouncing with great power boldness, as one yeah. translation says. Uh, the apostles are giving their testimony to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and great grace was upon them all. So uh, this is that, that proof that, that their lives were dramatically changed. Mm -hmm. But not only that, they were pronouncing it with power and boldness, but with grace as well. And that, I think that's important. Because if you know the disciples while they were under Jesus' tutelage, they were constantly bickering and arguing. And, and all of a sudden now they're demonstrating the grace of Jesus Christ. So it's a transformation of their life.
Exactly. Yeah. Very important, guys. Very important. So now that's, again, that was the review of what we covered uh, last month. Now, what I want to get into for tonight is the alternate theories for the resurrection uh, that skeptics will levy against what we just talked about. So the four main theories you guys have probably heard about, or at least you've heard some of these. First one is the parent death theory, or it's also called the swoon theory. And I'll just list them off now and we'll get into each one in detail. The next one is the theft theory that Jesus' body was stolen. The third one is the hallucination theory. And the fourth one is the wrong tomb theory, that they just kind of just went to the wrong tomb. Um, so the goal of these theories is to try to explain the facts surrounding the resurrection or to try to arrive at a non-supernatural explanation. So they want to try to arrive at a non-supernatural explanation. Skeptics that use these theories will say, oh, no, it wasn't God. He just doesn't resurrect. He, you know, his body was just stolen. Or they use these theories to just say the resurrection didn't happen at all. Um, so that's what these theories are for. And then we'll look at the claims of each one. We'll look at how they've been refuted. And, and what you'll be surprised to understand, too, is that some of these claims are, like, fairly recent, like 18th, 19th century. Some of these claims were actually denounced by the early church fathers. So some of these claims are, like, almost 2,000 years old. So it's been dealt with and, and like, disavowed and argued against for millennia now. So some of these aren't new. So the first one, apparent death theory. Again, it's called the swoon theory. Uh, the claim for this one is that Jesus didn't actually die on the cross but only appeared to die. Uh, after the crucifixion, he was placed in the tomb, unconscious, but still alive. Later, he revived in the tomb, took off his burial wrappings, unsealed the tomb, and showed himself to his disciples as risen. So people who make this argument say all those things, that, oh no, you know, the crucifixion, just didn't actually die. He was placed in the tomb. He was knocked unconscious. And then he somehow, he somehow ended up taking off his burial wrappings, undoing the rock, getting past the Roman guards in his bloodied state and be like, voila, here, you know, here I am to my disciples. So, I mean, I'm sure for you guys that that sounds just ridiculous. We've, we've uh, seen many scientific things concerning the resurrection or the crucifixion, sorry, how excruciatingly painful it is. So for people to say that just survive that is just, is, is crazy. So, and this claim, by the way, is widely criticized and discredited. So you, even though you might hear like internet atheists, quote unquote, use it, in the scientific community, in the religious analytic community, it's not really used, it's not really supported. People just discredit it for good reasons. Uh, so I'm gonna be referencing uh, Evidence That Demands a Verdict. They had some great quotes. I've referenced that book several times. So they said, since 1835, no serious scholar has been willing to support the idea that Jesus merely swooned or was revived after being taken down from the cross. And again, for obvious reasons, right? The crucifixion was horrendous. It was assured death for anyone who would be crucified. The apparent death theory fails to account for the known fact of, of the crucifixion. So it's just it just goes against historical and medical evidences for it. And in the book, they list about 10 reasons against this theory, I'm just gonna talk about five. The first one was the nature of his injuries. So he was whipped, uh, he was beaten, he had lack of sleep, the crown of thorns, and his collapse on the way to his crucifixion while carrying the cross were so life endangering uh, that it would have guaranteed his death, right? So we have to remember that even before Jesus was crucified, he was whipped several times, he was beaten, and all these things, so it would just lead to his uh, death. 
The nature of the crucifixion of virtually guarantees death from asphyxiation. So asphyxiation just means you can't breathe due to how the crucifixion works. And you basically just stop breathing. You suffocate and you die. So again, that just wouldn't, the, the theory wouldn't work for that reason. Number three, and this is an important one, guys, was that the piercing of Jesus' side from which came blood and water, in John 19, 34 tells us that, indicates that uh, serum separated from the clotted blood. So because he was pierced, it showed that he was dead. And because the Roman soldier had to pierce his side, he likely had to pierce his lungs into his heart, which would have assured death. So even if Jesus didn't immediately die on the cross, just by the Roman soldier piercing his side would have killed him for sure. So you have to consider these things when people say, oh, well, maybe he didn't actually die on the cross. Well, based on the facts surrounding the gospel accounts, there's no room for a unconscious Jesus that just kind of revived himself in the tomb later. Another point, a fourth point here that we have to consider is how the Roman soldiers were trained. The Roman soldiers were trained executioners. They were charged to make sure that they died. And in fact, I believe that uh, if, if uh, a person wasn't killed due to the executioner, if someone got away, they themselves <laughs> would uh, face a possible death sentence. So it was a very serious business for the Roman guards to make sure the people undergoing this punishment were truly dead, that they were killed and that that was it. The fifth reason uh, this theory just doesn't hold up is because of the wrappings that Jesus was covered on or around. So Jesus' body was wrapped in about 100 pounds of cloth and spices. I don't think that's something that we usually, I think when we read the, the scriptures of how they prepared his body, we just think, oh, it's just like a thin piece of cloth and just, you know, kind of spray perfume on his body. But it's 100 pounds of stuff that they're wrapping on him. So they, they basically say that, hey, even if Jesus didn't die for the crucifixion, he would have suffocated in the tomb, right? And again, you have to consider that, okay, Let's say that he didn't die on the cross. Let's take their argument. Let's say he didn't die on the cross. Let's say he somehow uh, still got in the tomb. How would he have enough energy to unwrap 100 pounds of wrapping and spices off of him? That's just not possible in that state. Uh, so yeah, for those it, five as reasons, wicked as he was. Yeah, exactly. So for those five reasons, we can see that this theory uh, just doesn't hold up. It just doesn't stand. You know, and I, I want to bring something else up on this one, because whenever we're talking about this, the Shroud of Turin always comes mm. up. Oh, yeah. Um, here's, here's what I want to say real quick, because I want to bring this up about the Shroud of Turin. Mm. Whether you believe it's Jesus or not is irrelevant in the discussion. And I want to bring that up real, real importantly. What is important about the Shroud of Turin is that pollen, dating of the pollen, points that it was around the time of Christ, Dust particles point that it was from Jerusalem at the time of Christ. So the, those dust particles would have been, not been there had it been later. And I want to understand the pollen would have been later. What is interesting about it is it proves Roman crucifixion. And that's what the real exciting proof about the Shroud of Turin is. Whether you want to believe it's the Shroud of Christ or not, um, and, and, and I think it's a disservice to say this is a Catholic object, because the science behind it proves that there was a resurrection. Oh, yeah. It's an archeological evidence that is there that is quite important. In fact, I would actually argue that the Catholics have done more to disparage the Shroud of Turin than they have in aiding uh, the research on the Shroud of Turin. So 
Um, don't get confused by people who say, well, this is a Catholic thing. No, it's not. It, it has nothing to do with the Catholic Church. It's an archaeological evidence for Roman crucifixion in Israel. Whether it was Jesus or not is irrelevant to the discussion. It would be cool if it was. We can't prove that. But what is the proof is that there was Roman crucifixions in the time of Christ and in Jerusalem during that life. That's yeah. what's amazing about it. Yeah, exactly. I know we've talked a bit about the Shah Turin as well. And we both kind of hold the same stance that it's a really cool discovery. We both want to look into it more. But, you know, whether it's just or not, we're not sure. And again, just like you said, great point. Um, that's not really the biggest thing. Uh, we can still glean much of an apologetic from it that, hey, it shows that there was a crucifixion during that time, just as the Bible describes and everything. So even if we, if it's not, you know, Jesus per se, it's still a great archaeological piece of a, a discovery to look at. So it's a great one. I would recommend you guys do some research on it. So to close this one up concerning the apparent death theory, there's a quote here that I wanted to read. Um, in an article in the peer-reviewed journal of the American Medical Association, um, uh, William D. Edwards and some other authors, they said, clearly the weight of historical and medical evidence indicates that Jesus was dead before the wound to his side was inflicted and supports the traditional view that the spear thrust between his right ribs probably perforated not only the right lung, but also the heart and ensured his death. Accordingly, interpretations based on the assumption that Jesus did not die on the cross appear to be at odds with modern medical knowledge. So I just threw that quote in there. It's kind of a lengthy quote, but I want you guys to get that, that, you know, I'm not just sitting here spouting my opinions to you. I'm actually giving you guys quotes from peer-reviewed <laughs> journals, scientists, people that actually looked into this stuff historically and scientifically, and they're saying that, hey, the arguments that skeptics levy against the resurrection of Jesus Christ or his burial or crucifixion, it just doesn't add up. And what's great is that a lot of these people too, they're not even Christian. Some of them are atheists and they're just like, it just, it just doesn't add up. They might, they might say that, hey, I don't believe in God. I don't believe he resurrected, but they'll say that, yeah, he was crucified, he was buried. And yes, the disciples believed his body was gone. They believed that he was resurrected. So we have to get that right here. There's actual evidence for these things. We don't just believe in fairy tales. Our, what we believe is supported by history, archeology span and science. Right. And, and I think that that's some of the, the important things to look at is the logic behind it. Oh, yeah. Um, and we're going to get a little bit more into, into some of that logic. What yeah. else do you have for us? Yeah, exactly. So the second theory I talked about last time was the theft theory. So in general, um, it's just a theory that, hey, someone went to Jesus' tomb, took the body, and that explains the empty tomb. Um, there's a lot of problems with that. Uh, there's two general grains of thought with this. There was the disciples that actually went to the tomb and took the body, or it was just some random grave robbers that went to the tomb and took the body. Either way, the point is that someone took Jesus' body, and that's the explanation for the missing body there. Um, uh, so just a few points as to why um, this is just incorrect. It's not possible. First one, again, the disciples were scared. We talked about that when Jesus was arrested, they fled. <laughs> when he was crucified, they were gone. <laughs> they weren't there. They were scared. Uh, they weren't ready to even face this. So the disciples were scared and hiding. So they would not have wanted to take on a sealed and guarded tomb. So you guys have to remember the narrative based on the gospel scriptures, uh, based on the gospels in the scripture, we see that where Jesus was buried, they put a stone there that was very heavy, hundreds of pounds, right? 
and then they put Roman yards there as well. So for the bodies have been stolen, grave robbers, the disciples, whoever, they would have had to somehow defeat the Roman guards who were stationed there at probably the threat of their own lives to make sure nobody came in, nobody got out. And then they would have to roll the rock away and somehow detect or make sure they weren't detected by anybody else and anything. So it's just not possible for that one reason. Disciples were scared and obviously uh, the tomb was heavily guarded. Um, also, another point is that the empty tomb doesn't account for alleged appearances. So people that try to use this argument will say that, well, the body was just taken away. Well, sure, but that doesn't explain why Paul was converted. That doesn't explain why James uh, testifies to see the risen Lord. So all they're doing with that argument is just saying that, okay, this is how the body went missing, but it doesn't exactly discount the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And that's something that people also have to uh, consider there. And um, I, yeah. if I can add this on too, uh, I mean, 1 Corinthians fifteen six tells us very clearly, look, then he appeared to more than 500 brothers mm -hmm. at one time. By the way, yeah. this is a major statement, major statement. 500 men at one time saw the resurrection of Jesus Christ. That's a very powerful statement. Mm -hmm. Most of whom, uh, when Paul is writing 1 Corinthians, he's saying most of whom are still alive, though some have fallen asleep. Uh, and, and that's real important to understand because Paul is telling you, look, you can go and talk to these people. Yeah. But the biggest thing he's saying there, at one time, 500 people saw him alive. This is not mass hysteria. And there is no scientific evidence anywhere in the world that 500 people at once can have an illusion. Yeah, exactly. And I'll be actually here. You're jumping ahead on me of me, but it's fine. The hallucination theory is next. And what Brother Stefan said, he's not overhyping it. Literally, I'll show you the quotes, people, people in the scientific community that basically say the exact same thing. There is no literature, scientific evidence for some type of mass hallucination. It's just not possible. Um, just to wrap this one up concerning the theft theory, uh, one great argument against this theory that somehow... Uh, the, the Jews stole the body and they're like, hey, you know, they stole the body. And, and you know, a lot of people are throwing the word, you know, con uh, conspiracy theory and everything around. If you want to hear about a conspiracy theory, this is a real conspiracy theory because people are say basically saying the disciples went to the tomb, stole the body, got past the guards, rolled the stones, stole the body, and then conspired to, you know, uh, fabricate this lie of the resurrection. So that is literally a conspiracy theory, right? Um, but, but yeah, so the thing with the, the argument that, that argues that, that goes against that view, the disciples stole the body and they, they uh, created this fabrication of a resurrection, is that the Jews at the time were not expecting a resurrection. Their view of a resurrection was that God would resurrect all of humanity at the end of time. That was the view of the resurrection for the second temple Jews at Jesus' day. They were not expecting resurrection within history for one person. That went against the grain of Jewish thought. So for people to say that, well, the Jews invented the resurrection, that couldn't be because it wasn't even in their mind at that time. It wasn't in their religious beliefs at that time. What Jesus did, what he performed, uh, went completely against Jewish thought at that time. Yeah, and, and I, I, I want to say, when he's talking about Jewish thought, he's not talking about 
um, the scripture because they didn't pay attention to the scripture. Remember, mm -hmm. Jesus accused them of this. He says, you, you err because you don't know the power of God, nor do you know the scriptures, right? And so what is he referring to? Well, you're looking at Isaiah 53, 5, for he was wounded for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace, and with his stripes we were healed. So mm -hmm. Isaiah was predicting the crucifixion that was going to take place with Jesus. Also, you have the um, incredible passage from the Psalms. Let me pull that up. Oh, and I want to give you one more from Isaiah real quick. Isaiah 25, 8. He will swallow up death forever, and the Lord God will wipe away tears from all faces, and the reproach of his people he will take away from all the earth, for the Lord has spoken. So Isaiah understood this, but they didn't pay attention to Isaiah. And you had Psalms. But God will ransom my soul from the power of Sheol, from death, right? For he will receive me, Salah, it says, and that's Psalms 49, 15, predicting that God would ransom our souls from death, right? Um, how would he do that? Through the resurrection, right? Uh, and we understand it. And that's just a powerful passage of scripture that we have from the Old Testament that we really need to pay attention to. Um, and then Job gives this out, and I'm going to give two more. Uh, For I know that my Redeemer lives, Job is prophesying, at yes. the last he will stand upon the earth, and after my skin has been thus destroyed, yet in my flesh I shall see God. Mm -hmm. So Job is understanding that he's going to be resurrected because of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And then David writes in Psalm 16, For you will not abandon my soul to Sheol, or let your Holy One see corruption. Uh, meaning you won't let Jesus see the, 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 the corruption of death, right? The decaying of death. And this is so important because it was predicted in the scriptures. And Paul makes that allusion in Corinthians when he says, according to the scriptures, mm -hmm. Christ would be killed. And according to the scriptures, he would be raised from the dead. And that is important. But I wanted to give you the analysis from the Old Testament there. Yeah, yeah and I'm glad you mentioned that as well. Because again, when I say... Uh, that you know Jewish thought that time too because we know they have the, the different rabbinic tradition and things like that that even Jesus had to address during that time so they should have been expecting this suffering servant they should have been expecting the suffering Messiah who would die for their sins who would be buried and resurrected if they only read the scriptures and properly understood it but because they didn't they they didn't have this expectation of this type of resurrection they only expected a resurrection at the end of time not within history, not by one person. So that's so important. And because of that, uh, we see a lot of followers of Jesus, actually, when they saw the empty tomb, they didn't think, oh, resurrection, uh, because that's what a lot of skeptics claim. They claim that, oh, you know, the body was stolen. Jesus' followers went to the tomb, and they cried out, you know, resurrection. But what we actually see was that John was the only one that believed Jesus was resurrected. Everybody else didn't think that. They had naturalistic um, understandings of what happened. So, for example, in John 20, verse 2, uh, it says someone moved the body. So they thought someone moved the body. Um, in John 20, verse 13, 15, uh, they thought the gardener moved the body. So, again, naturalistic explanations. Luke 24, 111. The women were accused of speaking nonsense. So when they delivered the news to the men, the tomb is empty. Uh, the men thought they were just crazy. They didn't believe, oh, resurrection, the Lord is risen. They are just like, you're crazy. The body was stolen. Someone moved the body. So that just shows, again, that 
the Jews weren't conspiring to create this fake resurrection story when they were anticipating that. And when they themselves thought the body was moved, or that the women who came to tell them about the empty tomb were just crazy and out of their minds. So that's, that's something to keep in mind there. So next yeah, and, Oh Yeah. yeah and I was going to, I just wanted to add on to what you're saying about John, because John writes in 1 John, and he opens up the, the epistle of 1 John, and he wants everyone to say, understand very clearly where he stands on the resurrection of Jesus Christ. He says, that which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our own eyes, which we have looked upon, and our hands have handled concerning the word of life, the life was manifested, and we have seen, and bear witness and declared to you that eternal life, which was with the Father and was manifested to us, that which we have seen and heard, we declare to you that you also may have fellowship with us, and truly our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. So John is telling you, look, we saw, we heard, we touched the resurrected Jesus Christ. This is coming from John. It's, it's, a, it's a very powerful statement that he's making, an eyewitness testimony. Saw, heard, touched. Yeah, alluding to the various senses, so it's very powerful. Uh, next, this hallucination theory. This one is an obvious one. Uh, the claim is that the followers of Jesus didn't actually see the risen Jesus, but what they experienced was hallucination. Um, Brother Stefan touched on it a little bit as to why that just isn't possible. Uh, and this is actually, this is actually the most held naturalistic theory for the resurrection. So a lot of people that will uh, say they don't believe in the resurrection, again, they instantly go to the hallucination theory. That oh, they just they just hallucinate. They're imagining. They're on something. Whatever. You can't really believe that. Um, but this theory lacks evidence. It's like the most unsupported theory possible. Even though it's the most held, it's the one you can't even defend at all just because the facts, you know, uh, aren't for it. So first reason that uh, this theory just doesn't work is that the theory doesn't account for the missing body. So the hallucination theory fails to explain why Jesus' body was never recovered and presented to dispel the supposed hallucinations people were having. So the point is that even though people are coming here and saying that, hey, you know, these disciples, they only hallucinated Jesus resurrected. Well, okay, let's say that's true. But why didn't the Roman guards and why didn't Pontius Pilate and the Jews just bring out the body then? If they only hallucinated that Jesus was risen, then the body should still be in the tomb. But the problem with that is that the gospel narrative and biblical and extra biblical sources at the time state that the tomb was empty, right? So it just doesn't work for um, that one reason. And there's other reasons well they're going to get into. But did you have any thoughts on that? No, I, I, you, I mean, you and I already covered this. So this, is, this is exactly why, because you yeah. can't have a mass hallucination. It, it's, exactly. One person can have a hallucination, um, maybe two because of a drug effect, but no one can have the same mass hallucination. It's impossible, even through drugs. Uh, and they've done this study over and over and over again. Uh, so it's it's important to understand. Yeah, yeah. So, I'll, and again, we're going to quote some um, scientific quotes here concerning the scientific basis of there not being any evidence for mass hallucination. Um, the book, again, Evidence That Demands a Verdict. They said it should be noted that scientific hallucination studies lack data on group hallucination phenomena. Why? 
hallucination is an internal mental event and observers observes how unlikely it would be given the lack of shared external stimulus for multiple people to experience the same hallucination. So technically what it's just saying is that for hallucinations, it's a personal thing, it's internal, it's in your mind. Uh, there's, you can't like share that with someone else. You can't give that experience to someone else. It's only within your mind. Um, Gary Sibby is a licensed clinical psychologist with a PhD in the subject. And has a great interest in whether hallucinations can be shared by groups. He writes, I have surveyed the professional literature, peer-reviewed journal articles and books written by psychologists, psychiatrists, and other relevant healthcare professionals during the past two decades and have yet to find a single documented case of a group hallucination. That is an event which more than one person shares in a, a visual or sensory uh, perception where there's clearly no external reverence. So again, this guy who's a PhD, he's in this field. He's saying that, hey, I've looked at the peer reviewed articles, the journals, the research for two decades, 20 years, and there's nothing. There's nothing to substantiate the claim that group hallucinations is a thing, let alone people in just time somehow just hallucinated Jesus' resurrection. And some other philosophers also took a look at this and they, they actually listed, I think, like 12 or 13 different reasons as to why this doesn't stack up, but just a few of them. Uh, there are too many witnesses. Again, hallucinations are private, individual. They're not, you can't have group hallucinations. Uh, another important point concerning hallucinations. Hallucinations usually last a few seconds or minutes, rarely hours. This one hung around for 40 days. So Jesus in the scriptures, Acts 1 and 3, for example, says that Jesus was still around for 40 days. So if you're going to claim that this is an hallucination, it just doesn't fit what an hallucination is. Hallucinations only happen for a short amount of time, not 40 days on end. Another reason why this isn't feasible, hallucinations usually happen only once. So they don't happen multiple times over and over again. But the problem with this is that Jesus kept on appearing to people in different ways over and over again, right? So this doesn't fit how hallucination would have happened. Um, we, uh, he just shared, Brother Son just shared First John. We know that when Jesus appeared to the disciples, they touched them, they handled them, just like he was saying earlier. You can't touch or handle hallucinations. You can't eat with right. hallucinations. Hallucinations can't eat. Um, so then the last one here, they also spoke with them and he spoke to them back. Figments of your imagination do not hold profound extended conversations with you. But Jesus did for, again, a period of 40 days for multiple people with groups and everything. That doesn't fit the definition of hallucination. So for those reasons, it just doesn't work as a theory for the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, you definitely nailed it right there. I mean, I think that that's important. There's your scientific evidence for you. Yeah. And the last one here, guys, is the wrong tomb theory. This one is a common one as well. Uh, the claim for this one is, is pretty simple, just the theory's claims, is that when uh, the, the women and the disciples went to the tomb, uh, what happened was that they didn't actually go to Jesus' tomb. They went to an incorrect tomb, a wrong tomb, someone else's tomb, and that incorrect tomb was, coincidentally, it was empty. And when they saw that it was empty, they're like, oh my gosh, Jesus Christ is raised from the dead. Uh, the first problem with that, guys, that I mentioned with the theft theory was that the Jews at the time were not expecting a single resurrection within history. At the time, despite what the scripture says, despite them, um, they should have expected a resurrection from their Messiah. They didn't expect that, but 
you know, Jewish thought at the time was that, again, God will raise everybody from the dead at the end of time. So even if they saw the tomb empty, even though they went to the wrong tomb, let's say that, and they saw the tomb empty, their first thought wouldn't be Jesus was raised from the dead. That wouldn't, that wouldn't work. Plus, just a, a logical argument that people also make against this theory is that let's say someone your family member unfortunately passed away and you guys visited their tomb, would you really be saying that that person would not be able to identify the tomb of their dead loved one that they cared about very much? So just for that reason, again, which is a simple logical argument, right? Uh, it wouldn't work here because they would know Jesus was someone they cared about. I mean, <laughs> he was son of a half brother, a disciple, or sorry, a leader that, that taught them for three plus years. So it just doesn't make sense that for the level of relationship they have with Jesus, they just wouldn't know where he was buried. So that doesn't make sense as well. And keep in mind, too. Yeah. And, you know, let's, let's be realistic about this. This tomb was, was a borrowed tomb of a very well-known and rich person in the community. Oh, going there, yeah. Okay? They weren't going to go to the wrong tomb. They were going to a very well-known tomb that was for a rich man that was borrowed. Uh, and, and, and what they mean by borrowed is it was there until they could make arrangements on their own. And so uh, that's a big, big deal. Exactly. Exactly. And I was actually about to jump to that point. So I'm glad you handled it as well, uh, which is just that, again, you know, we, 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 I said just now that, hey, they have a good relationship with Jesus, close relationship. So for that logical, simple reason, of course, they would not mistaken a tomb of a close relationship of uh, someone with a close relationship like that. But another reason is just like Rose Stefan said, the tomb Jesus was buried at was of a wealthy, well-known person. So it's like you can't miss it. So it's right there. That's as if you're going to say that, oh, you know, you somehow missed where the Eiffel Tower is, or you somehow, you know, missed where that McDonald's across the street is that everybody goes to in town. It's just not, it's just not possible. It's like right there. Everybody knows it. It, it just doesn't make any sense. Also, uh, this theory doesn't explain later conversions. So the theory doesn't explain how the followers of Jesus changed their minds and how some of them converted, such as Paul and James. So again, it just kind of goes back to the body um, snatching or body theft theory that, okay, well, all you're doing is just explaining why the tomb is empty, but you're not explaining or addressing why these people had miraculous changes. Paul, who was Saul, who persecuted the church, claimed to have seen the risen Lord and had a life-changing encounter with the Lord, and he became a Christian, right? So just because you say that, okay, they went to the wrong tomb, it doesn't refute the resurrection of Jesus Christ. It doesn't explain why these people had encounters and they were changed for the better, right? And many of them, if not all of them, died. They went to their graves with that truth, believing that that was truly uh, what happened, that Jesus Christ was truly raised. Yeah. These are these are great points you made tonight, and um, I, I think the the question that I think someone needs to ask is, okay, so why is this important? Why is it that it's important? And I think there's a couple, there's several reasons. The first one I think is is real big, um, and that is because Jesus tells us in John fourteen nineteen, he says, "Yet for a little while, and the world will see me no more." But you will see me because I live, you also will live. Mm -hmm. So 
because Christ rose from the dead, we have the hope of eternal life. And I'm, I'm going to expand on that in just a second. Yeah. Um, the second reason why I think it's important uh, that we understand this is Romans 8.34. Who is condemned? Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, and who indeed is interceding for us. So the reason why it's important that Christ rose from the dead is because he's interceding for us on our prayers that we make to God. Um, Paul states later on in one of his letters, he states that there is one, one mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus. And this is so important to understand that he is our mediator. In Revelation, Jesus is standing in the midst of the seven lampstands, the churches, okay? Um, and I, and I, I want people to understand that there's seven types of churches. It's one church, but it's the body of Christ. He's standing in the midst of it, interceding on behalf of the church, his, his, his betrothed. Um, and that's important. Why? Because Christ rose from the dead. Okay. And I think this is the other thing that, that is, is more important. Um, it's about a changed life. Okay. If you know that Jesus is God and he raised from the dead, it can change your life. Paul writes about this in Philippians 3.20, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and may share his sufferings, becoming like him in his death. Saul went, Paul went from being Saul, the murderer of Christians, to dying as a martyr for Christ because he saw the resurrected Christ and it transformed his life into going from a hateful uh, murderer to a loving person who wanted to give himself, empty himself out. And I think that that's important also. So it's, it's important that we know that. Um, and then finally this, um, it's Acts twenty four fifteen, having a hope in God, uh, which these men themselves accept, that there will be a resurrection of both the just and the unjust. What does that mean? Because in the end, God's going to judge both the just and the unjust by bringing them back to life. He's going to resurrect them to judge them. And then he's going to punish them so or bless them in that way. And we can look at that. In fact, that was prophesied by Isaiah 26, 19. The dead uh, shall live. Your body shall rise. You will dwell in the dust. Awake and sing for joy. For your dew is a dew of light and the earth will give birth to the dead, meaning there will be a resurrection of the dead. Daniel prophesied it about it in Daniel when he said uh, in 12.2, And many of those who sleep in the dust of the earth shall awake, some to everlasting life and some to the shame and everlasting contempt. Uh, so it's important to understand that. And we will be resurrected from that. And I think it's important. And finally, this is the, the final reason. I think this is the most important part of why you need to understand why the resurrection of Christ is important. If the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead also will give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. Now, why is he telling you that? Because it's what 1 Peter 1.3 says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, according to his great mercy, for he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. And 
it's because of our belief, right? Romans chapter 10 talks about that. And I think that that's the, the final verse. And I'm going to let you end it where it says, if you believe that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Mm -hmm. Christ's resurrection gives us the hope of eternal life through believing that Jesus is God and that God raised him from the dead. And if you believe that, you will have eternal life and never be brought to shame. Yeah. And I, I wanted everyone to understand this. These are some of the reasons why the resurrection of Christ is important in the believer's life and why we believe in the divinity of Christ, the divinity of the Godhead, the Trinity, why we believe he resurrected from the dead and why it's important because it transforms our life. Any yeah. thoughts? Amen. Yeah, I, I wholeheartedly agree with everything you just said. I second everything you just said, um, just as a, way of summary for everything we talked about guys again we looked at the four different theories concerning uh, what skeptics say against the resurrection the apparent death theory that jesus christ only appeared to look like he was dead but later just walked out of the tomb the fifth theory that the disciples or someone else took jesus body the hallucination theory that people just they just hallucinated they didn't really actually see the risen lord and the wrong tomb theory they only went to the wrong tomb uh, so we looked at those, we looked at the scientific arguments against them, the historical and uh, archaeological evidences against them, the scriptural evidences against them. Um, so just so many different ways to argue against these views, guys. Um, and the purpose of us looking into these, one, for the believer, is to further bolster your faith, right? Because maybe you're in the place of, man, you know, you have that coworker, you have that family member that, that's looking at you as if you're, you're dumb for being a Christian, um, you're being persecuted for your faith. You're being called names and things like this. Well, with everything we just went through, you can be confident. You can add to your faith that, yeah, what you believe isn't a fairy tale. It's, it's not stupid for believing it. It's true Jesus Christ rose from the dead. And if he rose from the dead, then we also have assurance that we will one day rise. Or he will come for us and we'll be glorified and spend eternity with him. And for you, if you're not a believer, if you haven't trusted in the Lord, we are so adamant on speaking on this is because... If Jesus Christ actually rose from the dead, if the Bible is true and Jesus is a real person and he was uh, buried for your sin, he died for your sins, was buried and rose again, then why aren't you believing it, right? All, we've presented all the evidence to you. So you just have a decision to make now. It's either you accept what we just showed you through scripture, through science, through history, through archaeology, or you just reject it. So we just implore you to look into these things further uh, to see for yourself that there's historical merit to this, that there's scientific merit to this, that Jesus Christ truly died for your sins, and you don't want to spend eternity apart from him in the lake of fire. Uh, what you want to do is place your trust in Jesus' sacrifice for your sins, and you will be saved, as the brother Stefan said. So for those things, we just want to encourage you guys and exhort you, if you haven't believed on Jesus Christ yet, to do so today, because today is, uh, you know, the day of salvation. So... Yeah, I, I want to add this last thought because there's somebody that's going to be listening to this podcast or um, the, the, the replay of this Instagram live. And you're bitter. You've got a lot of bitterness. You're angry because you have church hurt. Some Christian somewhere let you down, hurt you, um, distorted your view of God. And I'm not asking you to join a religion. I'm not. I'm asking you to follow Jesus. To look at the resurrection in its totality of who Jesus is. And I, 
And what a true Christian is, is someone who follows Jesus. Mm-hmm. It doesn't follow a church, doesn't follow a pastor. It follows, that individual follows Jesus because they believe that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. And I think that that is so important. As a believer, you, I, I'm going to tell you as a Christian, I have suffered that church hurt. I've suffered at the hands of people who claim to be Christians who hurt me. And I can tell you right now, it's, that's irrelevant to the discussion. What is relevant is that I follow Jesus because he hasn't hurt me. He's promising me eternal life. And I just wanted to share that with you because I think that that's the most important thing that we can understand as believers. It's a faith in Jesus, not in a church, not in a brand of Christianity, not in a religion. It's a faith in Jesus that he is God and he was resurrected from the dead and he will judge righteously. Mm-hmm. That means he's going to be correct in his assessment of who we are and our excuses are going to be worthless. And so you need to decide, look, here's the evidence of the resurrection that we went over tonight. Are you going to follow Jesus? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, amen to that. Amen to all that. So guys, after this, we'll be posting um, the document I used to go over all these facts and, and everything. If you want to take a look at it for yourself, we'll be posting it on our uh, Telegram channel. So if you haven't joined us on Telegram, do that. Or you can check us out on com. On the site, on the website, we actually have a Telegram feed. So you can also look at the document through that feed. After this, we'll be uploading the episode on podcast. So if you're on you know, Amazon Music or Google or whatever you're on, Spotify, that podcast episode will be there uh, for your viewing later, for your listening. Um, so we hope you guys check us out on those platforms. Amen. God bless you all. Uh, listen to this on the podcast, as he said, and uh, we'll see you next week. Uh, God bless you all and have a great night. Take care. Have a good night, guys.